civil danger warning. A disaster of unknown type has occurred. Normal programming has been suspended. Gary. Gary, have you sharpened the dagger? This is not a test. Don't worry about the bleating. Let's get going. The Glorious Free Republic of Yorkshire Radio Show. Hello and welcome to the Glorious Free Republic of Yorkshire Radio Show. Gary has found some old solar panels, but as we all know, it's been over 10 years since there was last sunshine in the Glorious Free Republic of Yorkshire due to the event. However, I've also found instructions on an ancient druid ritual to summon the sun god. So Gary is now dressed head to toe in swamp mongrel skulls and the ceremonial robes. He's solemnly guiding our virginal goat to a hastily constructed altar and... We now should have enough power for our show. We'll be bringing you government-approved news and stories from the glorious Free Republic of Yorkshire, the mightiest of the many new nation-states that, several decades ago, emerged from the troubled era that was 21st century Britain. My name, of course, is Lloyd Becklesnip, and today we'll hear all about Francisco Villalobos' plans to open the Dream Garden theme park. There was a problem with demon beavers, and now they're actually for lack of a better word, uh, violent leapers. They jump at people and they jump at people's faces. It seems like they're drawn to eyes. We have an exclusive chat with archaeobiologist Dr. Peter Essiente, who has plans for the discovered remains of King Richard III. They say he was a hunchback child murderer. We can't prove that. No, and small potatoes these days anyway. And if there's time, we'll have another visit to the Gadget Dungeon to hear the latest about the backpack beacon from Sly Winifred. All you have to do with this amazing device is gather up some dry twigs, some bramble, mm-hmm. and some leaves. So as long as you're not in a bog, which covers 90 to 95% of Yorkshire, you'll be able to fuel this device. If you're in that 5%, you've got nothing to worry about. But first, here's the list of monsters that your children shouldn't dress up as this Halloween in case they're mistaken for the real thing and cold. Vampires zombies, were-mongrels, hipsters, social media gurus, anyone who has a personal brand, Judy Dench, and finally, that one friend you have who responds to all your texts with memes. But now, it's time to hear about the plans for the Dream Garden theme park. Anyone who's got children, or who was ever a child themselves, will surely be familiar with the 17-book-long Dream Garden series, where we learn all about characters Lame and David as they progressed from thought seedlings to fully formed idea plants in the realm of the Dream Garden. Now, Francisco Villalobos is planning to build a theme park based on this extraordinary series, and I caught up with him to get the latest developments. The Glorious Free Republic of Yorkshire Radio Show. And I'm delighted to say I've got the man himself on the line, Mr. Francisco Villalobos. Welcome to the show. I'm really honored that you'd have me on the show. I'm really excited about this. I'd love to get as much visibility and publicity and just a lot of mouths talking about the project. So I appreciate it. 
Yes, this has been a dream of yours for quite a long time now, hasn't it? I would say ever since I read the very first book as a kid, I read the first book when I was 12 and the book grows with you as you grow. And it's more than just words on a page. It's thoughts and dreams in the reader. It's more than just text. It's a mood. It's an environment. It's a movement. You obviously have quite the support of the public behind you for this project. We've had all sorts of messages since it was announced you were going to be on the show. The fans, the dream gardeners, as they refer to themselves as, are totally behind this project. And do you mind if I just launch into what the plan is? Because I think it's probably good for the listeners to hear what's going on. Please do. Uh, everyone wants to know what's happening with this exciting project. So I am lead visionary. That's my title on a theme park being built in the city. And we're doing it based on dream gardens. And in honor of all the dream gardeners, I'm sure all of us are familiar with Dream Garden. Not a lot of people know that it started off as a Twitter novel. Um, it was something that you subscribed to and you'd only receive a few sentences at first until eventually you had the whole first book. It became so popular, it became seven part series and all this kind of stuff. But like the concept of you plant what you want. And if you nurture that, you get what you put into the earth. That's the theme park. We're going to celebrate you investing in yourself, basically. In terms of building a theme park based around a garden. You know, we've had theme parks in the past based on the old Wild West, and they're obviously very exciting. And we've had other ones based on, you know, mountain activities. And that obviously has the kind of thrills and spills of those rides. What kind of exciting ride can a gardening theme park offer to the public at large? We have plans for 10 rides. We have the blueprints for two rides that we're just going to try to start off with it and get approved by the city council because you have to have planning permits. But the two rides that the park is going to open up with is a ride where you are a seed and you grow into a dream. Okay, because that's we all know that that's kind of what the basis of the book is. So the ride is going to be about you are in a seed and the seed resembles a pumpkin seed. It's kind of white and flat and hard and shape. And you, you ride on top of it and the seed grows into the dreams of the future. The vehicle itself actually will branch out and gain vines as you speed through because it's a fast ride. We, we know that people love fast rides. Well, yes. Sorry to interrupt you. But yes, there was a bit of controversy about that first ride because obviously you built the prototype and some of the photos of the participants who were taking it leaked online. They didn't look like they were enjoying themselves. There was kind of screams of absolute terror, rumors of the ride being far too big. Anything worth doing is going to have failures, going to have struggle. Not everything's going to go well. What we learned from that unfortunate experience is that we have to make sure that the arm bars have to completely come down over the waist. The injuries sustained were minor. There was just a couple bloody noses and bruising of the eyes. We've already had 50% of the people saying they're going to come back and try it when the ride's fully developed. There is going to be failures and I'm not going to let failures Stop what can be a beautiful vision, what can be a garden of dreams. So you have the two main characters in the book there, David Elliott and Lane Weber. So I've heard that one of the things you do when you go into the park, you get to choose which character you're going to be. And that reflects your whole journey around the park. So how do these two roles affect your experience of the park? Your entrance to the park is going to afford you a button and the button is going to say hashtag bold choice, which is a campaign we have going if you're part of Team David Elliott or hashtag tag along if you're part of Team Liam Weber. And that's also to give everyone a different experience every time they've come into the park. So what happens is cast members have a script. Then when you come in as bold choice, hashtag bold choice, the, the cast members and the costumed characters are going to interact with you differently. If you come in with hashtag tag along because you're 
Liam Weber and he's just like a tag along on coattails all the time, then you're going to have a different experience of that too. But it also allows people that are more extroverted, who might be big, bold choice that want to interact with costume characters to have that experience and people that are more introverted and more on their heels and maybe waits for other people to succeed and then want to jump on board that success afterwards. It allows them to have that sort of experience as well. It's not just about a ride. It's about a narrative. It's about a story you're digesting. And we want people to feel like they're participants in that story. That sounds excellent. And so we have the central thrust of the novels and the films and the musical, the soap opera and the TV show, the theatre show, the comic book and the mime theatre adaptation. It's all about expressing yourself, growing your own ideas, growing hope. Now, obviously, the Glorious Free Republic of Yorkshire is all about people expressing themselves as long as they don't start growing weeds or growing ideas that might be counter to our glorious free republic. What reassurances have you got for our government that you're not going to be cultivating weeds amongst the minds of our youth? Lloyd, this is a fabulous question. And here's what I'm going to say about that. Now, in the story, we all know the stories, David Elliott and Liam Weber, they go to find specific seeds, magical seeds, which are hidden around the world. Then they have to find the special soil that can only grow these seeds. Now, the thing is, they can never choose to not get a seed. They can never choose not to get soil. They still have to get this specific seed in this specific soil. These elements must come together for their dreams to come true. And of course, it's a big metaphor for you have to work hard. You have to seek help. You have to do all these different kinds of things. But they're picking seeds that are beneficial. They're not picking weeds. The thing that I cannot control is in every ecosystem, there are parasites. There are bugs. Maybe in the most ironic metaphor is the land that we chose, the land which is just by that hollowed out mechanic shop. There was a problem with demon beavers and they're naturally occurring species that have been changed by the most recent events. And at one point they were just a part of the ecosystem that would deal with the rivers and trees and everything. And now they're actually for lack of a better word, uh, violent leapers. They jump at people and they jump at people's faces. It seems like they're drawn to eyes. If somebody see eyes and they, they attack eyes. That's an example of where that land that we chose had an indigenous parasite, had an indigenous weed, to use your metaphor. So we did have to take care of that in order to make it safe. Well, I must admit, I've seen the plans for how you've made them safe. I thought they were ingenious altering the genetic makeup of their diet to make sure that they now grow without teeth and then incorporating them into one of the rides. You go through this glass tunnel and these demon beavers launch themselves at you. It's like a ghost train taken to a new level. It's just terrifying, but safe. It's funny you mention that because I said that we had two rides ready to go. And the second ride follows the journey of one of the major villains in the series, the elbow. And so what the elbow goes through is there's constant self-editing, constant self-judgment. So what we did, like you're saying, is that glass tunnel that you're talking about, the beavers represent the, the elbow constantly attacking himself. So the beavers are the constant judgment that you cannot turn off. That's using the land and that's using a negative to a positive. And so what stage are we at? When can we really start to get excited about the coming attractions? Right now, we're in a process of bringing in dirt and taking dirt away to make a level ground. And then also you have to have a geologist come in and make sure that the density of ground that eventually buildings aren't going to sink and like there's not a water hole underneath. We had a seismic shock the other day and it withdrew a great deal of the ground into a sinkhole. But we don't think that's going to be an issue because seismic shocks, like they say, never strike twice. So we've kind of gotten out of the way. It's kind of lucky that you've had a seismic shock 
because then that bit is now seismic shock proof. You and I can say that, but the 15 workers on the site would probably feel differently. We wish them rapid recovery in the hospital, but I, I would say the same thing. It's better that those 15 workers than the opening day of Dream Garden. I totally agree with that. But getting the plans approved by the planning commission takes forever. I'm talking to a planner, Adrian Gallo. He's great to work with, brilliant guy, but he always seems to find another flaw. That flaw that he didn't see the first time, he sees the second, third or fourth time. We're now in the 15th approval process. Sorry, what was that planner's name again? Adrian Gallo. Yes, I'm, I've, I've come across him before and just uh, I'm very keen for this part to open. So I would say your next permit application just slip in a few swamp mongrel steaks and a bit of nettle wine. And I think your application might be viewed with a much more forgiving eye. Little inside information there for you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm writing that down as we speak. Well, we're all very excited about it. But thanks very much again, Francisco, for your time. Thank you so much for having me on. And if I could just say the tagline of the theme park to sign us off. Absolutely. May the leaves of your trees fall in the shades of your sun. What a beautiful thought to end on. Thanks again and good night. Well, that was someone who wants to bring dreams to life. Next up, we have someone who wants to bring history to life. Literally. No, don't worry. It's not another zombie outbreak. It's the work of Dr. Peter Essiente, who was involved in the discovery of the remains of King Richard III and has some big plans for what to do with them. Let's find out what they are. The Glorious Free Republic of Yorkshire Radio Show. And I'm delighted to say I have Dr. Peter Essiente on the line. Peter, welcome to the show. Hello, Lloyd. You are in the middle of some very exciting work, isn't that right? Yes, in partnership with the University of Leeds, or what remains of it, I am engaging in an exciting fusion of Yorkshire history and biology. Well, you're looking to resurrect the past. We often talk about bringing history to life. You might be one of the first people to ever actually do it. Yes, yes, that's quite correct. I am working with the University of Leeds to bring back uh, from DNA samples the last Yorkist king, Richard III, to resurrect him as a potential successor to our own glorious Geoffrey VI. What was it that made you think that such an uh, achievement would be possible at all? I have been looking at the various intricacies of the history of our great and sceptered nation. The interesting thing when it comes to the history of Yorkshire is that before we were free, independent, and indeed self-governing, we were subservient to England and the British Isles as they were. However, there was a point when there was a Yorkist faction in charge of Britain. God, isn't that exciting? Wow, so you're saying it's written into the very destiny of Yorkshire to be the primary leader, the primary nation. We could be leading this group of nations once more. I firmly believe so, yes. You will find a lot of people have a lot of negative things to say about Richard III. They say he was a hunchback child murderer. <laughs> We can't prove that. No, and small potatoes these days anyway. Absolutely, the smallest of potatoes. But 
we do know he was a crowned king of a territory far greater than we hold now. And isn't that worth aspiring to? Absolutely. And so you've been working on your dig for over six months now. And can you describe the moment to me when you realised you had found some of King Richard's DNA? And, and how did you know that it was his DNA? Well, there is that old legend from the early 2000s that the body of Richard III was found in a car park, whatever that might be, in Leicestershire. And I know, horrifying, a Yorkist king in Leicestershire. I, under cover of darkness for several months, led a team of intrepid archaeologists on midnight raids throughout every legacy car park in Yorkshire. Under cover of darkness, we would break through the remains of tarmac, which is sort of a building material they used to have, and look for any evidence that remains. There is that famous story that before he died, he cried, a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. And we are looking for the elements of that horse, the bridle, the stirrups, the saddle, anything that may have a little trace of Richard left on it. Right, I see. So the horse is the key to the puzzle. Yes. Find the horse, find the king. That's what we are going by. That is actually scrawled atop of my bid proposal to the University of Leeds. The first seven pages were nothing but that slogan in various aggressive fonts until I asked for £30,000 to fund this excavation. What font was it you think clinched the deal? I'm guessing impact? Yes, impact. A vital font in any form of academia. Personally, I'm a sentimentalist. I would like to think that some of the handwritten stuff on there was very important to it. I think it shows there's an interest. Some of it was in my own blood. There was some bile. I ground up one of my teeth uh, and turned it into a powdery font to show my commitment to this project because obviously academic funding is incredibly hard to earn. I suspect another reason that the success of the funding bid was the potential of resurrecting such a lost leader and returning this great nation to its rightful place at the top of the pile. So have you spoken with King Geoffrey himself or his people about how this would work? I have spoken to several members of the inner, inner, inner circle. There is definitely a faction who would be excited to see the challenge the very fact that you know that there's an inner, inner, inner circle knows that you're obviously on the inside track already. Very few people are even aware of the inner, inner, inner circle. I have an uncle. Say no more. Okay, well, this is absolutely fascinating stuff. Now, I'd, li I'd like to delve a bit into the biological side of your archaeobiology. What are the steps for working with ancient DNA and building a, a living, breathing royal out of that material? Well, obviously, when we're looking at DNA this old, there is a certain amount of decay. Things will fall apart. I think we all can relate to that. I know I certainly feel like I've fallen apart in the last few years. But the thing I would like to emphasise with this cloning is that in taking even the smallest modicum, the tiniest drop of Richard, a little bit of dicky dandruff, if you like, we can extricate the DNA. We can find where decay has occurred and using a pattern that I have 
developed, we can actually resequence the DNA. So uh, would you like to respond to the rumours that you're filling these gaps in the DNA with sequences from our national animal, the swamp mongrel. Uh, now, now, I'm I'm glad you've brought this up. This this is something I want to to really set straight. I am not trying to put a mutated swamp monster on the throne of Yorkshire. A lot of people have said that's old Peter, that's Peter Essienti, mad as a box of swamp monsters. But no, the swamp mongrel DNA is of Yorkshire, as much as beet bogs and whippets and the grass of Yorkshire, all of these things are the stuff of Yorkshire. And all of this is going into the resurrection of Richard III. Well, I mean, if we had a royal that was as aggressive, as hardy, as difficult to eradicate as a swamp mongrel, there would be no stopping this nation. I'd follow them. I'd follow them. We'd all be unstoppable, wouldn't we? Could you just imagine squelching across the battlefield in glorious Kevlar? Ah, King Richard III. With a swamp mongrel's hide, he probably wouldn't need armour at all. He could go on to battle naked, terrifying every nation that we encroach upon. And maybe... He would even be able to communicate in a Dr. Doolittle-like way with the Swamp Mongols himself and raise an army not just of men, but beasts as well. Yes, exciting possibilities. Research comes out of everywhere. All things can be possible. Well, this has been a fascinating chat, Professor Asiente. I look forward to hearing about the results of your exciting experiments. Well, thank you very much. The Glorious Free Republic of Yorkshire Radio Show. Unfortunately, after this interview, Dr. Essiente made the mistake of pitching his idea of resurrecting a past monarch directly to King Geoffrey VI. What's now left of the good doctor will be interred back into the hole under that Leicester car park, and our thoughts and prayers are with the rest of his family, wherever they may be. Okay, so Gary hasn't quite managed to finish off that goat. If anything, it looks like the goat is getting the upper hand. But if we're quick, I think we've got time to head on down to the Gadget Dungeon to find out the latest from Sly Winifred. So... We are back once again in the Gadget Dungeon, and I'm here with our very own Gadget Master. It's Sly Winifred. How are you doing, Sly? I am great. Good to see you. So, Sly, who would venture out without knowing where they might be? Not anyone that I know of, but there are some uh, more unusual souls in our great nation, and some people do have to go out for midnight medicines or for a pint of ale. What you've got to keep in mind is when you're out there, how do you know where you're going? Obviously, streetlights are no longer an option. The last streetlight ran out of gas over three years ago. But what we have is our glorious three beacon system. Oh, yes. As long as you're within eye line of the three glorious beacons of Yorkshire, you can figure out where you are roughly to 60 or 70 miles even. 60 or 70 miles until recently. <gasps> because let's say you're out in the three beacon area and you have a fall... An enraged horse kicks you in the face because it's been shooed poorly by a machine or any other number of tragedies that could befall. How does someone find you? 
Well, they don't. They find your bones eventually. Every time you go out for a walk, you're finding some stray traveller who's gotten lost in the mist. And I mean, that just used to be part of our lives and part of our glorious world, but not anymore. Really? I'm bringing you today this fabulous backpack beacon. What does the backpack beacon do? We'll go back to our scenario. You're lost on the moors at night. Mm -hmm. You've got your three beacons, so within 60 to 70 miles you know where you are, but no one can find you. Except the gangs. Except the gangs, the roving gangs. You've broken your leg. You're worried. What do you do? How do you get help? Unfortunately, you didn't manage to get one of the 5G phones, so instead, you've got to make yourself obvious. So... You activate your backpack beacon. And how does that work? I see you've brought one in. It's a comfortable, small device that you can strap to your back with, well, there's, what, eight to ten leather straps there to give stability because it's a good 150 pounds, that. Yeah, just grab hold of that and give it a shake and you'll feel the quality. That feels like it would last at least a month. Absolutely. And it's even got this strap to go up over the crotch, so you can pull it around like that around the waist as well. Oh, nice. You're literally not going to be able to get out of this thing once you've put it on. Okay, I feel safer already. So, you're waiting for rescue. You need to get help. All you have to do with this amazing device is gather up some dry twigs, some bramble, mm -hmm. and some leaves, place them on the backpack. So as long as you're not in a bog, which covers 90 to 95% of Yorkshire, you'll be able to fuel this device. If you're in that 5%, you've got nothing to worry about. Gather up your fuel, place it upon the backpack, pull this handy cord here. If I, I tell you what, why don't we pop you in one? Oh, All right. that is lovely. I'll just uh, flip that over your head there. Mm -hmm. You do those leather straps. And uh, we'll do the, I'll do the crotch one for you. Oy, there we go. Uh, that's very snug. Yeah, no, I feel I feel good. I feel good. I'll be fine. I'm good. Just like being in Yorkshire, you feel safe with that on, don't oh, you? Oh, yes. Nothing's getting in or out. So, you've got your fuel. You've got your backpack. All you need to do is, if you see that small red cord... This small three-foot thick cord, yeah? Yeah, you know, it says phosphorus on it there. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to take a small step back, and if you just pull on that cord... Look at you. Yes. Uh, no, well, that is quite the sight. I wish I hadn't put my hair in a ponytail today. That's gone. But, you know, small price to pay. Lloyd, I must be more than six foot away and I can see you clear as day. Okay, and so once this flame... Oh, I notice this flame is a slightly different colour to the three beacons because that's how we know where we are within the three beacons. Each is a slightly different shade of green. Exactly. And so you can know where you are. Whereas this seems to slightly... Is there a bit touch of blue to this flame? I'm glad you noticed that. That's a feature because that is a blue flame of help Unfortunately, those are the colours of the Moors gangs. Ah, uh, but there's a good chance that the official help will get to you before the gangs do. There's got to be at least a 20-25% chance of that happening. I can certainly not refute that claim. And, you know, faced with certain death or a 20-25% chance of a survival, I know what I'm going for. <laughs> I'm going for good, honest Yorkshire technology that's going to get me out of every bind. Although, to contrary that slightly, certain death by exposure and starvation might be preferable to the 75% chance of being discovered by a valley gang and living in unimaginable pain for a month before being eaten alive. Well, let's go through it. Exposure, gangs, or now, thanks to this amazing new piece of technology, a small chance of living. That sounds good to me. That sounds like progress. And progress is what we're all about.
as we march into a shining future provided to us by the glorious free Republic of Yorkshire. Long may she reign. Long may she reign. Thank you very much, Sly. We'll catch up with you again next week. Always a pleasure, never a job. The glorious free Republic of Yorkshire radio show. Well, that goat is now working its way through Gary's ceremonial robe and even on to Gary himself. Ah! I'm afraid that's not going to grow back, Gary. So I guess that's the end of another show. Cheerio, and until next time, may all your brews be strong, may all your puddings be fettled, and may all your swamp mongrels be radiation-free. Ta-ra! Communications have been severely disrupted. Make sure you have food, water, and a battery-powered radio with you. This is not a test. Hi, thanks for listening. I'm Noel Curry, and on this show you heard David Escobedo as Francisco Villalobes, Ben McPherson as Dr. Peter Essiente, and Adam Martin as Sly Winifred. Adam and I are in the improv group Square Peg Comedy. David has been doing improv for 25 years, and his book, The Improv Book, is now available on Amazon and other less evil retailers. Ben McPherson is in Nottingham-based improv groups Miss Imps and The Vox Pops. You can find out even more about what they all do in the information section of this podcast, and you can follow this podcast on the various social medias at Free Yorks Radio. We'll be back next month, but if you enjoyed this, then you know what to do. Please subscribe, share, rate, review, and rampage. Thanks. The glorious free republic of your child radio show.